Good morning, everyone. A few years back, uh, actually, no, it's only about a year ago, um, I saw a TV news program where a doctor, a psychiatrist slash neurologist, uh, was talking about a happy brain and what are the elements that create a happy brain or a happy person. And she said uh, in, in her studies of the brain, there were three qualities of a brain that resulted in people being happy. And uh, the first one was something called positive flexibility, meaning um, when you're hit with a negative life event, um, you can think about that event in a variety of ways and uh, come up with a positive view of what might be happening. The second quality was real empathy for others. And you can imagine how that contributes to a happy life. Uh, and then the third one was kind of surprising. It was um, the idea of a happy brain uh, knows how to practice good emotional management. That was the words that were used. And I want to zero in on the last one this morning, uh, strengthening our emotions, or in, in biblical language, fortifying our spirits through the power of praising God. And here is our text for this morning. Uh, David did this, didn't he? He talked to his soul. He said, why so downcast, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I will praise him again for the help of his presence. I hope that as we go along this morning, you will be um, evaluating whether or not there is enough praise in your life, whether there's enough praise and glory going on, glory to God going on in your heart, in your home, in your car, proceeding from your mouth, and expressed in the great congregation here at TCF. I think we're much more emotionally driven than we want to admit. Have you ever come to church in a funk? Anybody ever been here in a funk before? And uh, maybe, maybe before you even get here, you think to yourself, I'm not going to church this morning. No way. No way. Amy's, I think, elbowing James right now. Was it this morning? Oh, you, you yourself. Okay. And, but maybe you drag yourself here out of obedience to the Lord and you say, all right, I'm here, Lord, but don't expect much from me this morning. That worship leader better not tell me to raise my hands. No way. Everyone around me is going to know that I'm in a mood, that's for sure. Yes, sirree, Bob. I'm not even going to take communion. What do you think of that? Young mothers need to teach their children how to self-soothe, and the world says, talk to the hand. I'm in my happy place. And men, you know men, we like to go to that nothing box, right? Amen. Emotions are so powerful, and yet they're so fickle. 
Uh, a few weeks back, I was mad at Laura, if you can imagine that. And this was a bad one. Uh, it lasted about a week. And uh, in my mind, I was just working myself up. And uh, I was saying to myself, I don't need anything from her. I don't need her touch. I don't need her kisses. I don't need her to make me any food. I don't need her to do my laundry. Wait a second. <laughs> Let's forget that one. But I was listening to a song over and over by Chris Stapleton. Anybody know him? He's a country western singer. And he's got this song called Either Way. And the words are <laughs> really cold. Uh, the words are uh, something like, Baby, you can go or you can stay, but I won't love you either way. And uh, I was listening to that song over and over <laughs> and uh, just getting cold. And, and um, Laura knows me well. She knows just to wait it out, and eventually the Lord will bring me around. But after, after we had talked and processed and made up, I thought... What a drama queen you are, Grinnell. You know, talking to myself, what a, in my mind, you know, what a drama queen. You just let your emotions, you know, go crazy. I, I want to ask you to pray for this woman. You know, forget about her cancer. Just pray that she can live with me, you know. And I think that my grandson, Forrest, who's four years old, has picked up some of that same tendency to have trouble, you know, managing his emotions. A week before Bible Bowl, he was at our house with Lily, his older sister, who's nine, and uh, Forrest was just kind of grousing about VBS. He said, I, I, just, I just know I'm not going to like it. I just don't think I'm going to like it. And he was going on and on, and Lily turned to me like, like a total adult, and she said, he always does this. He just, he just always does this. And she turned to him and said, Forrest, you're working yourself into a frenzy. You, you're going to go, and you're going to like it. You're going to have a great time. And sure enough, the first time I saw him here at the church during VBS, he was having a great time. Uh, so anyway, anybody else here have a little trouble with their emotions sometimes? Anybody? Okay. Here are some cartoons from the New Yorker um, showing people in various emotional sta uh, states. The first one is the proud exerciser. And we have two hamsters here. One's talking to the other saying, I usually do two hours of cardio and then four more of cardio and then two more of cardio. Every one of us has a happy and proud exerciser in our lives. Uh, the next one is the one who feels better than everybody else. Here's a cat looking down at a dog, saying, I was a dog in a previous life, but I came back as a god. The next is for those among us who are addicts, who fear feel feel our powerlessness and that our life has become unmanageable. It's a man with a cone around his head. It says, it keeps me from looking at my phone every two minutes. 
And the next one's the one who's not very self-aware and talks about his aches and pains too much. He's at the doctor's, and the doctor is saying, I can cure your back problems, but there's a risk that you'll be left with nothing to talk about. And then the one who feels life has not given them the status they deserve, a dog coming to his master saying, once again, I find myself in the rather awkward position of having to ask one of you for a biscuit. And then the one who is continually a bit irritated by others needing his time, a businessman on the phone saying, no, Thursday's not good. How about never? Would never work for you? <laughs> and then perhaps my favorite is the quintessential mother who is expected to way over function. Here's her husband saying, okay, now on three, I'm going to toss a second job in there. And then the last one that captures it all, that facts don't exist, only our individual feelings matter, the little boy at the blackboard who says, my equation might be wrong, but it's how I feel. Kind of sums up our, our world, doesn't it? Well, let's look at five, excuse me, Proverbs 4.23 says, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. And today's central truth is that it's up to us to manage our emotions, our moods, our spirits, our interior life. No one is going to do that for you. Amen? No one is going to do that for you. Yet God has given us some powerful tools to fortify our spirits. And one of those tools is praise, praising God and how it shifts us into a, a stronger place. That's what I want to talk about this morning. So let's look at five ways, five not always recognized ways that praising God fortifies our spirits. Before we do that, though, we need to kind of differentiate between worship and praise. So what is worship? Interestingly, worship means to move toward in order to kiss. Isn't that interesting? Uh, the first half of the word, the Greek word, it means to move toward, and the second half means to kiss. Pros, uh, proskuneo is the word. And it can also mean to bow down. And so we look at Psalm 2 verses 10 and 11. I'll read it to you. This is in the RSV. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. And then this line, with trembling, kiss his feet. Isn't that beautiful? With trembling, kiss his feet, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Notice that we don't kiss God's mouth, his face, or even his hand. We kiss his feet. 
that captures the essence of worship. And then in general, worship means reverencing God uh, in word, action, or service, showing dedicated devotion in thought and deed to an object of high esteem. It's not limited to praise alone. So the elders here, we teach often that all of life can be worship to the growing Christian. To the growing Christian who goes through life more and more, moment by moment, heartbeat by heartbeat, saying, Lord, what do you want me to do in this moment is worshiping God. In our giving, we're worshiping God and so on. So it could be said that we kiss the Lord's feet. We worship him when we practice righteous behavior. It can be said that we kiss the Lord's feet. We worship him when we help and serve others. It could be said we kiss the Lord's feet. We worship him when we give our tithes and our offerings. We kiss the Lord's feet. We worship him when we do our best to raise godly kids. We kiss the Lord's feet. We worship him when we choose to humble ourselves. And we kiss the Lord's feet. We worship him when we tell someone about his great love. So for the growing Christian, all of life becomes worship as there's a greater moment-by-moment heartbeat asking, Father, what would you have me do here? How can I please you even in this moment now? Well, what is praise? Praise is a more specific type of worship. It is a verbal expression, some kind of verbal expression of praise or honor or glory to God. In speech, in songs, in shouts, in words, in proclamations, praise is always verbal. It means to tell a tale or to praise highly or to express a favorable judgment. Do you know that before the book of Psalms was called the book of Psalms, Psalms, it was called the book of praises. The book of praises. It uses words like exalt the Lord, extol him. I will exalt in the Lord. Boast in the Lord, magnify him, ascribe glory to his name, declare his mighty acts, tell of his greatness, praise the Lord, bless his holy name, and so on and so on. So while worship can be word or deed or service or act, praise is limited to verbal expressions, both um, when you're on your own and when you're in what the Bible calls the great congregation. So with this clear picture in mind, let's look at the five realities about praising God and how they fortify our spirit. So number one, praise magnifies God and our self-centeredness is pushed aside from center stage. Isn't that beautiful? When we worship God, Our focus goes to him, doesn't it, ideally? And uh, it's like looking through a magnifying glass. When you look at through a magnifying glass, the image you're looking at or the thing you're looking at gets bigger in the center, and everything else is kind of pushed out 
to the side. And in this case, what's pushed out to the side is our focus on ourselves, amen? Our self-centeredness that's so hard to get away from. When it comes to self-centeredness, we are all repeat offenders. Returning to the jail of self-centeredness unless we push back continually against it. And nothing can be as powerful, perhaps, as praising God to stay free. John the Baptist uh, knew this truth about God needing to take center stage. Some, some of his own disciples came to him and said, what, what about this man, Jesus? And what did John say? Do you remember? He must increase, but I must decrease. He went on to say, uh, my joy is full just being the friend of the bridegroom. I'm not the bridegroom. He's the bridegroom. But I rejoice when I hear his voice. King David magnified the Lord and pushed against this self-centeredness continually. Uh, but one verse that captures that is, I will bless the Lord at all times, David said. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. And then you have that perhaps, Joel, I think perhaps this is the greatest movie ever made. The, the, the poignant epic known as What About Bob? Bill Murray plays a mentally ill man who has attached to his psychologist in, a, in an overly familial way. And uh, the psychologist goes on a vacation to Lake Winnipesaukee. And Bob schemes how to figure out where his psychologist is and follows him there and shows up at the front door. And of course, the psychologist, Dr. Marvin, Dr. Leo Marvin, is, uh, is furious. And he says, Bob, this is totally inappropriate. And uh, of course, Bob is saying, but I want, I want, I need, I need, you know, give me a break. <laughs> and uh, Dr. Marvin seems to calm down and he says, I'll tell you what, Bob, and he pulls out a prescription pad and writes a prescription, and Bob is saying, no, no, no more drugs, no more drugs. I've, I've taken so many drugs. And, but he says, Bob, it's not, it's not drugs. Take a look at it. And, and Bob looks at it, and he said, take a vacation from my problems. And he said, Dr. Marvin, that is brilliant. And so... Uh, Dr. Marvin says, I want you to get on that bus, and I want you to go back to New York, and whenever you have a problem, I want you to pull out that prescription, and, and Bob says, take a vacation from my problems. And so he leaves temporarily and skips down the road, happy as can be, with this prescription. Well, it seems to me that in praising God, we do take a vacation from our problems, you know, it's a time where we focus on him and all our problems and self-centeredness hopefully drift away as we adore and worship our king. In praising God, we make him center stage. We escape our self-centeredness. We take a vacation from our problems and give him the glory he deserves. Number two. 
When we praise God, we take a stand and declare our allegiance to God and to his church. Now, um, you probably have not thought about praise in this way before, but uh, hang with me here. Laura and I were driving back from Minnesota recently, uh, I guess it was last weekend or so, and um, she was reading an article that was saying Americans' distrust of institutions is at an all-time high, and that people will attend rallies, attend churches, attend protests, but they will not join the organizations that are uh, sponsoring those events. They want to participate, but they don't want the, uh, I don't know, for lack of a better word, the baggage or what comes with being fully aligned to a group or a church or a political party. In praising God, however, we take a stand, don't we? We, 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 we defeat the fear of man, first of all, that someone might judge us. We, we defeat this fear of being fully aligned with something. In this case, it's God and his church. It's God and his church. When we stand and praise God, we are saying that we are fully uh, aligned with God, and we are fully aligned with each other, God's people. Isn't that beautiful to think about? Praising God together knits us together in community with bonds crafted by the Spirit. And I, I just want to say, O oh Lord, bind us together with cords that cannot be broken. Now, David... Dancing before the Lord is an example of this, isn't it? Let me just read a few verses from that story. And so it was that when the bearers of the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed an ox and a fatling. And David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. David and all the house of Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouting and the sound of a trumpet. And then he goes home after this exciting event of bringing the ark into the city of God. He, he, he goes home, it says in verse 20, to bless his household. He's blessed the people at large. Now he wants to come home and do his priestly duty and bless his household. But Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David. Even before he got in the front door, she came out to meet him and said, how the king of Israel distinguished himself today. He uncovered himself today in the eyes of his servants' maids, much as one of the foolish ones shamelessly uncovers himself. So David said to Michael, it was before the Lord, and I'll put in here that I uncovered myself, who chose me above your father, by the way, and above all his house, and appointed me ruler over the, over the people of the Lord, over Israel. Therefore, I will celebrate 
before the Lord. And I will be more lightly esteemed than this. What's he saying there? I will be more foolish. I will be more humbled. I will be more inappropriate than this. And will be humble in my own eyes. But with the maids of whom you have spoken, with them I will be distinguished. When people are real in their worship and their praise, even if it's a little bit out there, they are esteemed rather than uh, looked on as foolish. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. In praise, we take a stand. David did not fear man judging him. He fully associated with God and his people, and his exuberance knit the people to him in a fuller way. In praise, we take a stand and show all the world and heavenly host our allegiance to God and to the people of God. Let's look at the third point. Praise elevates our emotions. Amen. And our affection for God. Here's something that Charles Stanley wrote. He said, praise elevates our emotions. Worry, fear, and doubt cannot survive for long in an atmosphere of praise. If you want to see a difference in your relationship with Christ and in your walk with him, start to praise him today. Continue when you, don't, when you feel prone to give up. Commit yourself to a life of praise and fellowship with Jesus and experience the fullness of what God means by joy. America's greatest theologian, arguably, was Jonathan Edwards. And he wrote a book called A Treatise Concerning Religious Affections. Now, affections in his day meant emotions. And he was exploring the role of emotions in religious experience. And he said when we praise God that there is a, a positive feedback loop that's created. And here's how he expressed it in his own words. He said, well, I better put it up there for you. Cause in the creature's knowing, esteeming, loving, rejoicing in and praising God, the glory of God is both exhibited and acknowledged. His fullness is received and returned. The refulgence, that's a word we don't use much, but it means the brightness of God on and into the creature, that's us, and is reflected back to the luminary, that's him. The beams of glory come from God are returned, excuse me, are something of God and are refunded or returned back again to their original. And so we might say that the payload of praise, the thing that is dumped off with us when we praise the Lord is the joy of his presence. How many of you have experienced that where you've come into a praise service and you've just been caught up in worship? Maybe you were surprised 
that it happened or maybe not, but the joy of the Lord hits you. You've, you've heard me say many times that joy, I believe, is the primary emotion of heaven. Get that from scriptures like enter into the joy of your master. There's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who don't need repentance. The joy of the Lord is our strength and so on and so on. If Edwards is right, when we praise God, the fullness of God comes to be with us and then is refunded or returned to God and there is this positive feedback loop. I remember the first charismatic full gospel church service I went to. And they were singing along, and then all of a sudden they released the people to greet each other. And so I was probably 18 or 19. Um, at that time, we were doing canoe trips. I, I don't know how I looked, probably not very wonderful. I don't know how I smelled, probably not great. Uh, but I remember being embraced by this huge man in a three-piece suit. And my chest went into his, I mean, my face went into his chest, and he just, like a big bear, just grabbed me and pulled me close. And uh, I remember just being filled with warmth and glee and happiness and safety and security. He even smelled good. You know... Men who wear too much perfume, you know, uh-uh. But this guy had something really good on and not too much. And, it, you know, it just felt so good and so warm and so wonderful. Joy and praise are often linked in the scriptures. For example, Psalm 98, 4, shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. Break forth and sing for joy and sing praises. Certainly, praise fortifies our spirits, elevates our emotions, and our affection for God. Let's look at the fourth point. Praise breaks bondages and ushers in the power of God. Psalm 24, 7, lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be lifted up, ye everlasting doors, that the King of glory may come in. And in Isaiah 60, 18, we read that you will call your walls salvation and your gates praise. So putting these together in my mind, I believe as we lift up our heads in praise, the gates of heaven are opened and the King of glory enters into this place. What do you think? I think that when we praise together as a fellowship, we invite a supernatural dimension that we can't achieve just on our own. And uh, it's exciting to me to think about that potential of the presence of the Lord being ushered in as we all wholeheartedly worship. My son Nathaniel was worshiping several years back up in the basic room. It was a time where it seemed like the power of God was especially evident. And he was, he was in a dark place, honestly. He, his, his countenance was dark. 
I know he was doing stuff that was bad, but this particular meeting as we were worshiping, I stole a glance at him, and he was reaching out to God. And just like a fervent, he would not be denied. And I was so excited, but I didn't want to ruin it, so I, you know, didn't look again or tried not to. Um, but then uh, it came time for the worship or the praise time ended and it came time for me to teach. And so I got up to teach and uh, I couldn't, as I looked out at the kids, I couldn't see my son. I didn't know where he'd gone. Uh, so I started to teach, but then I heard this groaning and I realized that he was on the floor uh, groaning. And I didn't know what to do, so didn't want to ruin the moment, so I just kept teaching. Uh, and various times he would groan, uh, but after it was over, um, I went back to talk to him, and he said, Dad, uh, God just flattened me. And I tried several times to get up, but I couldn't get up. And he had a, a, a carpet burn on his nose where he kept trying to get up, but the Lord kept him down. So I think that's an example of how when we praise, things happen. I've heard several stories lately of people being in nursing homes uh, playing piano or music for people with dementia. And some of these people who have not spoken for quite some time, all of a sudden, in that music and in that praise, they're, they're able to sing uh, at the fullness of voice, beautiful voices with tears streaming down their faces. How many of you have actually seen that in a senior living center? Or, you know, the Spirit of God is not confined to the normal pathways in our brain. Um, and so there's this dimension that we can tap into. I say praise breaks bondages. Praise breaks bondages and ushers in the presence of God. Let it be, Lord. And then finally, praise impacts those around us and how others praise God impacts us. Again, going back to the years in youth ministry, we used to teach that uh, there were three great purposes of praising the Lord. The first, of course, is just flat out to glorify God. It's not about us, it's about God. But then as we did so, we, we, we were aware that God fortifies our spirits. We hear words, personal words for us, or scriptures. But the thing I emphasized was the third point, that a, a great sort of unsung hero of praise is how we affect others around us by how we praise. Listening for a scripture, listening for a word from the Lord, or just showing engagement in worship, being an example of someone who truly enjoys worshiping God. Can you think of someone in this body that often you look at because you enjoy seeing them worship the Lord? Anybody have somebody like that 
that they, okay, Amy, good. Um, so I want to ask you, are you a praise zealot or a praise zombie? I want you to know that we are always influencing others. We cannot not communicate. Our behavior is always sending some kind of message. And so let us be a good influence on others. I want to show you some pictures, about eight or nine pictures of people worshiping. And just let what you see influence you and see how it influences you. I'll leave each one up for my guess at 10 seconds. So you can really look at it and uh, let it impact you. Here's the first one. In closing, I want to ask you some questions. Will we take advantage of this weapon of praise? Or will we be repeat offenders, continually returning to self-centeredness? 
Is my home filled with praise music? Is my car filled with praise music? Is my mouth filled with praise to God? Is my life a life of praise? Are we a zealot or a zombie when it comes to praising God? Do I have faith that greater engagement in praising God in my life will result in bondages being broken and greater victory in my life? Will greater engagement in praising God fortify my spirit? Am I willing to make the effort to praise God more? Am I satisfied with the level of praise in my life? I want you to remember today's central truth that we are told to watch over our hearts with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Therefore, it's up to us to manage our emotions, our moods, our spirits, our interior life. No one is going to do that for us. Yet God has given us some powerful tools to fortify our spirits, and today we focused on one of the greatest, which is the power of praising God. We'll end with this scripture. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. May God bless you and these thoughts today.